0: Okay, we quit mid-chapter last week uh, in Exodus chapter 3, and I hope my notes are just out of order. Um, If they are, that's okay. If it's not here, that's okay. Yeah, I'm missing a page, but that's okay because I know know what we need to say. When we look at where we were, and that's what my notes (coughs) are missing, (coughs) is we left Moses at a burning bush. And this burning bush was not being consumed. Moses was saw the bush while pasturing, while pasturing the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, and he sees this burning bush and sees that it's not being consumed, and so he turns to look at it. He's, he's amazed. But as he turns, God says, Whoa. He Doesn't say "woe." He said, "Moses." And Moses said, here I am. And God says, take off your shoes and don't come any closer. You are on holy ground. And so God is there in the midst of that burning bush. And we talked about the possibility of a Christophany as well as a theophany. And maybe it's the whole trinity, but the presence of God is there. And um, in in the course of all that, he identifies himself, God does, as the father uh, the, the God of the fathers of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and so Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God and God basically said to Moses I've seen the affliction of my people and they, uh, are their cry is reaching me, they have evil taskmasters, I'm aware of their sufferings I'm coming down to deliver them from the power of Egyptians and to bring him up from the land to a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. Going back to the promise of Abraham. And he talks about the people that were there, where he was going to go. We, we looked at verses 10 through 12, which we'll briefly reread here. But well, let's just do that. Let's go over to Exodus chapter 3 and read verses 10 through 22, uh, which is the end of chapter 3. So we're going to look at the rest of the chapter. And uh, looking for someone to be kind enough to read those for us.
1: And the Lord said, "I have seen, <clears throat> I have surely seen the up- oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the head hand of the Egyptian, and to bring them up to the land to, to the good in the large land, into the land flowing with milk and honey, to, play in, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites." He- and the Amorites, and the Bresites, and the Hepatites, and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians been. Come. come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt?" So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you you shall serve God on this mountain. (coughs) Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say that to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, of God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together, and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, of God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and Hittites and the Amorites and the Pesatites and the Hebatites and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will he- heed your voice, and you shall come and you, and you, the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of Hebrews has met me with us, and now please let us go three days' journey to the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my my hand and strike Egypt and all my wonders which I will do in this midst, and after that he will let you go. And I will give the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be within you go, that you shall not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egypt.
0: Okay. Thank you. So when we look down at verse 10, um, we, we see that therefore is how it starts. Because I've come down, God says, I'm going to deal with their affliction as a result. Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh. Uh, and the purpose is given so that you can bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. What did Moses say? Who am I? Who am I? Why? <laughs> do you have the right address? You know, who who am I? What why are you with me? What 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 makes me the right one to do this? And uh, is he got a little lack of confidence here? Yeah. He's a man in hiding. He's been hiding from Pharaoh for the time that he's been away. And so he, he sees himself as a fugitive. And as a fugitive, you want me now to go back and confront him? He's the one with power. You can almost see Moses' thoughts grinding here. This, this doesn't sound like something I can expect to go well, both for the people of Israel as well as for myself. And so he's not, he's not convinced. As he's thinking about this, is it clear to you what Moses thinks are his resources? Should he go do that? What's he going to be looking to to be able to pull this off if he were to have considered doing it? I need an army. Well, I need an army. But that might be what he needs, but what does he think he's got? And the answer really is just himself. He's thinking only about what I can do. I mean, that's in his question. Who am I? You know, this is not set up for success. In verse 12, God answers. That was, by the way, his first refusal, his first objection to uh, God's request, God's orders for him. But God has an answer in verse 12. Certainly, I will be with you. Now, is that significant? Does it remind you of anybody we studied in Genesis? We talked about this last week a little bit. Reminds me of Joseph. Joseph was continually successful because God was with him. But, um... God says, I'm going to be with you. You can count on it. It's certain. And then he says, here here is a sign I'm going to give you of that certainty. And what's the sign that God says I'm giving you so you'll know that I am with you? It's there in verse 12. Yeah, this mountain that we're on right now, he's on Mount Horeb, which another name for that is Mount Sinai. You're going to be worshiping with the nation of Israel on this mountain. Well, that's a pretty good sized sign that, that God is with him, but it's only going to occur after he's already done been through all of the getting the people out of Israel, right? So that kind of is like, what's the now sign? But that doesn't come up. So do you think Moses is convinced yet? No. No. And so <clears throat> we are beginning to see that Moses is thinking only of the attributes he brings to this and lacks confidence. I mean, if you really had strong confidence in God, I don't mean in terms of like salvation or believing in God or what God can do, but the fact that God said, I will certainly be with you, Moses' response shows he lacks some confidence in what that really would mean. That statement by itself and and I think we would all be very much like Moses, I don't think any of us is going to be jumping with glee to go do some very difficult task like this even if God said he was going to be with us, just that simple statement but if we were face to face with God and he said that to us that's about as big as the statements can get, isn't it? Um, And so Moses is there and Moses continues in verse 13 to say okay so now he starts bringing out objection through procedure I go to the Israelites and I say the God of your fathers has sent me to you they may ask me what is your name how am I supposed to respond to that and it's interesting looking at at this I I probably um, was surprised with some of this, certainly, but Elohim, God, says to Moses, and we get the phrase that is so often translated, I am who I am, and I have no problem with the translation. But so say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Now I'm anticipating as I read those that because Jehovah means I am, I'm going to see his own name in these phrases, but you don't. Um, what you see is the verb that goes along with existence. So it's the meaning is there. It's it's right for us to understand this as God saying, "I'm the great I am." But the verbs that are used in the Hebrew, uh, and of course, when you start when you start translating to English and whatever, then some of these things aren't as clear. But he basically says, I'm the one who is and the one who will be. That's basically the best way or a way. You could translate that with a lot of accuracy. So it's not as simple as what we read in English. And so tell them, I am the one who exists, the existing one. And that is the meaning that goes with God's name is the one coming to you. By the way, if you want to think about the Christophany a little bit, go over to John eight fifty eight. John eight fifty eight. I better turn to that so I don't give you the wrong background. Make sure I'm where I think I am. I know I am, but... Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Yeah, and Jesus is in a conversation with the Israelites, with the with the muckety-mucks of the Jewish faith, and they're saying, well, right, wait a minute. Um, our, we, 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 follow, we follow Abraham. And Jesus says, well, before Abraham was, I am. Now, <clears throat> we got all kinds of language changes going on here. Uh, Jesus probably spoke this in Aramaic, and then you put it in Greek, so if you want to try to line it up with the words back in Genesis or in Exodus, they're not going to line up, not in the same language, <clears throat> but sure enough, Jesus lines Himself up with the I am statement. And so, here is a possibility yet of this being a reference to Christ. So He says to Moses, Tell him I am sent you. And then He continues to say, You shall say to the, El- to the Israelites... The Lord, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, my memorial name to all generations. And here he says, basically, I am Jehovah. <clears throat> and so Moses, that's who you need to be telling them has sent you is the great God, the one that came to Abraham and gave the promises. The one that came to Isaac and continued the promises and continued to explain them. The one that came to Jacob and said, not only are the promises true, but you can have confidence that I will make a great nation out of your people and move them as a great nation from Egypt back to the promised land and you'll take it as a nation. And so when Moses is sent back with those words, anybody that understood the reason they were in Egypt, why, how they got there, and the promises that surrounded the forefathers, particularly even Jacob, and the promise to be returned to uh, the land of Canaan as a nation, uh, this is the right person to be sending them. All these connections could be made if they were understanding God's interaction with their forefathers. So in verse 16, he says, Then again, he gives them the direction, Go, gather the elders, which is an interesting term. Literally, gather the bearded ones, uh, which is their euphemism for elders. Gather the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, and by the way, the Lord there, that's Jehovah, not Elohim. But the Elohim of your fathers, the almighty God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says it again, has appeared to me telling that I am concerned about what's been done to you in Egypt, and I'm here to rescue you from that. So we get back into verse 17, and um, God continues to say, I will bring you up out of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so it's a rich land. It's a land where you're going to have abundance. And in verse 18, God goes on to say, They will heed what you say. And you with the elders of Israel will come to the kingdom of Egypt, say, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now please... Let us go three days into the wilderness to make sacrifice to the Lord, our God, and that is the Lord is Jehovah and God is Elohim, to Jehovah, to the great I am, and to God Almighty. So what are they claiming about God to the king if they did what what God asked Moses to do here? What would they be saying to the king? kind of asking you to put it in your words, the message that God intends for them to give the king. God told
1: us to go three days journey
0: to worship. Yeah, but let's back up one step. What came right before that? What are they to tell the king before that? Met with us. What's that? God met, with us. God met with us. There's a testimony in this that God is being active in our people and we're here to tell you that God has met with us really he's only met with Moses but it's a message for the people so through Moses he has met with the people and so they're there to tell Pharaoh we're not here as godless people. The God that took care of our family. The God that brought us to Egypt through Joseph. Now that history probably won't come up. But that's who they're talking about. That God has met with us. And as a result of that meeting. We are here to ask you. For an opportunity to go three days into the wilderness. So that we can worship God. At his request. Now. Is that really what God's going to ultimately do? Is just take him out three days for some worship time? Yeah. So what's going on here? Is this a ruse? Is it is this a trick? We're going to go out. We're going to say we're going out three days, but we're just never coming back. I think
1: they're just testing Pharaoh to see if
0: he'll. Well, they don't. They aren't even. You're right in a way, but I would say they're even not even testing Pharaoh. They're, all they're doing is laying out for Pharaoh what God says is going to happen. And he says, he won't let you go. really doesn't matter what they ask for at this point. This is the starting point for him to refuse them. And God says, I know he's not going to let you go, even under compulsion. So this is the chance, this is where I will begin to stretch out my hand in verse 20. And I will strike Egypt with all my miracles. That's not a that's not something we should miss is that word all in there. I've got a I've got a bucket full of miracles here that I have set aside or I plan to do on Egypt and on the Pharaoh and specifically before it's done. And I'm going to do this in their land. And then they will let you go. So this first request certainly is not what you might call a throwaway request but it's not a request where God is giving them any expectation that this request is going to be granted or even that this is the end point that they're trying for it's just this is going to get things started so I can begin to show Pharaoh who I am and after they let you go, as they're letting you go, maybe a better way of saying it, in verse 21 he says, I'm going to grant this people, the Israelites, favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. When you go, you will not be empty handed. That word favor there is that really does it mean that they're going to look with kindness and joy upon having Israelites for neighbors? No. It means they're going to get provisions, I mean they're going to get concessions from these people in order to get them to go so they're going to do things in your best interest so you will leave and every woman can ask of a neighbor and the woman of the house will give articles of silver gold and clothing you'll put them on your children your sons and daughters and thus you will what were the words? Plunder Plunder. Plunder Egypt. They're going to take a lot of wealth out of the land of Egypt God isn't just going to get them to the promised land but he's going to transfer this wealth from them to the Israelites and this is a very prosperous nation they're, we're, this is one of the times when Egypt is a very strong nation they're, they're one of the major world powers and so they're, they're wealthy they have done well And um, a lot of that wellness of their economy and so on continues probably to come out of the time of Joseph. I mean, he saved this nation from being wrecked due to a famine. And so uh, he was put in charge of not only their foodstuffs and so on, but finances in general, and it went very well. And they're still probably reaping some harvest from that. Questions and comments on what we've looked at so far in chapter 3? Yes, sir.
2: Yeah, I might have missed it last week, but going back to um, verse 1 there, and it says they just went, went up to the Mount mm-hmm. of God. Was it called the Mount of God before Moses even
0: went up there? Well, we think so. They think okay. so. Um, and why would that be? Um, don't really know. Even the ones that think so go, well, you know, they're there may have been other things that had gone on where people just said that's that's a god that, that's a place where god has been touched before um there was there were a number of comments that i read about it i don't remember exactly what macarthur said for his comments but mountain of god known as such because of what took place there later in israel's history that's the position he took this name for the mountain suggests that the book of Exodus was written by Moses after events. Others suggest that it was already known as a sacred mountain prior to the call of Moses, but it seems best to relate it to the name of what God did for Israel there. So MacArthur takes the position that calling it the mountain of God is a result of what happens on the Exodus later when God meets Moses on the mountain. And certainly that is by far of anything we know about the most um extensive uh, presence of God almost anywhere on earth uh, prior to Christ being incarnate and so certainly afterwards it would be called the mountain of God there were a few other folks I read that gave some reasons that I don't recall right now to say "Eh, I think maybe it was the mountain of God before that might have just been a nickname who knows it was a significant mountain in the area but in terms of it really being the mountain of God the only thing that we would have to look at would be what happened when the people are there with Moses and God goes on the mountain to, or Moses goes on the mountain to be with God and the commandments are given and those things. Any other questions or comments? That's a good question.
3: Over the weather, over the water, turning the blood, over the, the stars in the sky, the moon, the sun, and just categorically, he does show. I know it relates to the Egyptian gods too. It does.
0: And and I, it really does yeah, I'm not that. very. I'm studying that, but not. I wouldn't want to try to explain the Egyptian god connections with any clarity at this point because I don't have it in my head. But yeah, that's right. It's there. The other thing is, we can answer another question. We don't want to look forward too much here. I don't want to borrow everything from the future texts. but. Why is it important that they would get through all of the plagues? You know, you might wonder if you're reading through this why Pharaoh didn't respond to a previous plague, but it was important to God to get through all of these plagues. What's the last plague? The, firstborn. Firstborn. the passover, the firstborn. I mean, there is so much in that last plague that figures into setting the stage for Christ, teaching about Christ, even understanding what happens during the Passover centuries later when Jesus is crucified on the cross and is raised from the dead. Think how different the New Testament would read if you didn't have the Passover to look back at if you didn't realize what this great celebration that was going on in Jerusalem when Jesus was on the cross, we well, didn't have that great celebration to look at. Um, and so the Passover is very significant. There's so much that God is teaching here about how he takes care of people and even through life and death. So it's important that all of those plagues are, are carried out on Egypt, not just so they will be carried out on Egypt but it lays the foundation for the future in an understanding of God and His grace and His providing the way through Christ to be reconciled to Him. Any other questions or comments about chapter 3? Well, let's... Go ahead. I think go ahead.
3: It's interesting to me that the Egyptians gave this of their own... the plundering, that they gave their stuff to the the Hebrew children of, of their own accord. I mean, God acted, but it was free will. And so, to me, it's interesting that God, or it's always encouraging that God provides in the most unlikely ways. I mean, that would seem impossible to me, that someone who didn't like you or were their slave, well, that would give you everything they had, enough to plunder themselves.
0: Well, and, and of course, what's going to happen is, and what God alludes to it here, is they are going to be so ready to get rid of you folks as the connection to these plagues. We not only want you out of here, take whatever you want, get in motion. We don't, we've experienced the firstborn of our dead as the final plague as well as all the others. No price is too high to pay to have you guys gone. And so they do, yes. Yeah. maybe we're in favor okay,
3: so if ask me for this maybe I get some favor and, I don't it and
0: the next plane or it yeah, yeah have, well there's certainly no question that are they trying to appease God or are they trying to appease the Israelites I mean yeah they they want these people to be on their way and be happy to be on their way so that we can get back to trying to have our Egyptian lives yep good, good points Well, let's look at Exodus 4, 1 through 13. Who will read that for us?
1: Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to them, What is that is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, will appear to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom, and put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow and he said put your hand in your bosom again so he put his hand in his bosom again and he drew it out of his bosom and behold it was restored like his other flesh that it will be if they do not believe you nor need the message of the first sign that they may believe messages of that letter sign and it shall be if they do not believe even these two sons <coughs> and listen to your voice that you shall take water from the river Pour it on the dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become the blood of the, land, of the dry land.
0: And we're going to go down to 13. Oh.
1: Then Moses said to the Lord, "Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent enough before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute? The deaf, the seeing, or the blind have not have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, "O oh my Lord, please send by the please send by the hand of whomever else you may send." So the anger of the Lord. Yep,
0: just thirteen. <laughs> okay, okay. So here okay. in verse one of chapter four, just after God said. You're going to be successful, so successful they're going to plunder the Egyptians. Moses says, well, what if the Israelites don't believe me? This is actually his third objection. First was, well, who am I to go? And the second one is, well, they may ask what your name is. And now he's saying, well, what if they don't believe me? Or essentially, what if they call me a liar? God didn't really appear to you. So God says, all right, what's in your hand? And what did Moses have in his hand? Staff. Throw it on the ground. What does it become? How did how did Moses respond to that? Smart man. Uh, I think he had the right idea. I, I've i had a bad experience with snakes. There's, no, there's nothing funny that can happen between me and uh, some sort of snake situation. Uh, I'm a little better than I was when I was a kid, but I, I still struggle with it. And so Moses is headed the other way. And... God says, what? Grab its tail. tail. Now, I don't know how tough this was for Moses. I don't know what his personal fears were about snakes. Obviously, he'd gone the other way. But if God asked me to grab the tail of a live snake, (laughs) that probably is the ultimate test he could make of me. And I, I, I would ask him to not consider doing that. If he does... I'll I'll face it somehow but so Moses grabs the snake and it returns to being a staff and so God has given him a miracle that he can do almost at will Uh, he doesn't have to stop and say God should I do it and we'll see that as as the things go on so God says if they don't believe you show them this and uh, and God says, you can do that so they may believe that the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. Now, he says, now, um, if they don't do this, if they don't get it, uh, he says, you can do this. Put your hand in your bosom. Essentially, he's going to put his hand inside his clothes. And when he takes it out, what has happened? Let's turn It's white with snow. I mean, it's not just a mild case. I mean, it is fully developed leprosy. And now he says, okay, now put it back and take it out. And it's back to his normal skin. The flesh is restored. Uh, Leprosy, by the way, is um, a a very, I'm going to use the word, exact disease in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, We we wish we knew exactly what it was, but it probably includes or is related to our modern disease called Hansen's disease. And Hansen's disease is mostly a nervous system problem rather than a skin problem, although it will eventually turn the skin white and do those kinds of things. And it's based on a bacteria that attacks the nerves and that bacteria, while it's not attacking the lungs, but it's, very, it's a very similar bacteria to the one that causes tuberculosis. It's spread by skin and other contacts. It creates, before it's done, not only problems with the skin, but it will cause bones to distort, all kinds of problems, uh, including a loss of sensation at the skin. And that can mean you might burn yourself badly. You, won't, you don't feel pain. And so you can have injuries. Even one of the problems with Hansen's disease is people like would start rubbing their nose and rub their nose clear off. It's kind of bad to say, but they can't tell they're rubbing their nose that hard. And and so they, they can hurt themselves. It's painful, it's internal, it's chronic, and it's terminal. It's essentially a death sentence. So I'm trying to imagine Moses' thoughts. He says, oh, you can do this. And he puts his hand in, takes it out. I mean, I don't think. I, to me that would cause panic a little bit but Moses is there taking orders and God quickly says or maybe not quickly but not long after says okay put it back and it's restored again I imagine there was a lot of sigh of relief when things were restored but here's a couple of pretty significant miracles that God has given Moses and God specifically says what is the purpose of the miracles and what is it? He was sent by God. That they will know that you have met with the God of the, your fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is not a new thing, is it? Or not an isolated thing, might be a better word. Go over to Hebrews 2 1 through 4. Hebrews 2 1 through 4. Too far. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. We must pay closer attention, therefore, to what
3: we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every transgression and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, and was affirmed by God,
0: So what function did the miracles of Christ play in His announcement of Himself to the world? Go back to verse 4. It was first spoken through the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testified with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. This is how God at the time of Christ affirmed Jesus. Now he did some direct things, which also were miraculous in, a, in, in one sense, like at Christ's baptism, God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And other words that went along with that. And god did those things but in terms of in the public the purpose of the miracles was it was god's affirmation of jesus himself being the son of god here on earth and the mission to reconcile god and men and so god is doing a similar thing with moses god is testifying through these miracles that you Moses have indeed not only met with me but been commissioned by me and now you are out doing the work I've given you to do and so these miracles are for that specific purpose and sometimes we lose sight of that sometimes we think of the miracles that we see particularly of healings and those kinds of things where the man born blind can see we can certainly Res- it resonates with us at a human level of the great joy that it would bring to a man that had never seen to now see. And we can get caught up in the positive effect in a person's life, but we should never forget what's behind that. And behind that is God himself affirming the message of Christ. And in Moses' case, what's behind the miracles he's doing? It's not so he can show how important he is, but the miracles are there so that God can testify to Moses and his role. Questions? Comments? I just find it interesting
2: that Moses doesn't believe the same miracles that he's supposed to take.
0: <laughs> well, we're, like, we're, 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 com- we're we're gonna get to the effect of that for sure in just a little bit. And by the way, go ahead. Let somebody else start to say something. And There's another effect that God tells Moses he can do, but isn't demonstrated here. But if they still don't believe, go down to the Nile, grab some water, throw it on the ground, and when it's on the ground, it'll be blood. And so you can use that one as well. And so God gives these miracles to Moses, so it it answers his objection. Well, what if they don't believe me? Moses isn't done objecting. Moses says to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently, nor in time past, (coughs) nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses just said that I don't speak well in public. Um, And he says, not in my earlier life not now and even says and not even while i've been here talking to you i don't speak well <clears throat> which is interesting if you think the fact that he grew up in pharaoh's house he probably was given instruction in speech and so he's, he's basically saying I, I can't i can't communicate well enough to do this job i think people will listen to you after you throw that staff down i really think They'll give you a lot of grace on your quality of speech. But Moses, that's not where he's at. And he says, so I I, I can't do this. I can't put the words together. It takes me too long to think what to say. And then I don't say it right. I think I've met some people that would say that for themselves as well. But anyway, the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? There's a He doesn't ever answer it, but who made a man's mouth? God did. Rick's trying to say it very quietly up here, uh, but God did. Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? God says, is it not I? I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you are to say. And so God basically says, don't worry about it. I made your mouth. I can teach you the words and I can put you in a position where you will say them well. How does Moses respond to that in verse 13? Well, it's not even exactly what he says. That's close. Yeah. You know what, God? I'm good with whoever else you want to send. Um, And... Claire Marie started to read us the next verse. It's my opening for next week. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Moses has been bringing these objections, and God has been saying, Don't worry about it. I'm going with you. That was the starting point. I'll be with you. And he keeps going. And toward the end here, Moses is saying, Yeah, but you, in a sense, he's accusing God. You didn't make me good enough for this. Well, isn't he? Who created Moses? At whose will does Moses exist? And so Moses is saying, you didn't create me good enough for this. I can't talk well enough. So this isn't going to work. And God says, I made your mouth. I I will teach you what to say, and I will enable your mouth to say it. And Moses doesn't even respond to that. He just says, I send whoever you want, except not me. And we can make fun of Moses. And I mean, in, in a sense, <clears throat> this is almost if we take human nature out of it, if we just look at it, I mean, we're looking at it from many years later, we know the rest of the story to a great extent. <clears throat> this is almost unbelievable that a man would say he he came across a burning bush. That isn't being consumed. A voice comes out of this burning bush. And says. Don't come any closer. And take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And this voice identifies himself. Identifies Moses by name. He identifies himself as. I'm the God of your father. Father Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. And when we asked about name. I am the great I am. Uh, And everything that comes up he's got an answer to, including throwing a staff down, picking it up, serpent, staff, interchangeable, depending on where it's at, a death sentence leprosy, a clean hand, and a promise, not demonstrated, that if you take water out of the Nile and throw it in the ground, it'll turn to blood. And A strong affirmation by God. I made your mouth. Who who made your mouth? I did. Who makes all these things happen? The deaf and the blind and the hearing. And the ones that see. And the ones that can speak. And the ones that can hear. Who takes care of all that? I do. And Moses still says. Yeah, send whoever you want. But not me. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? And... So it makes you wonder with regard to Moses when he says, "Please send whoever you want." So what is he telling God? Well,
3: I'm not going. He's
0: well, I'm not going. He's
3: putting his will against God.
0: Putting his will against God. That's absolutely true, and I don't want to diminish that. He doesn't trust God. He doesn't trust God. He doesn't really believe that these things will either, either they won't be done or they won't be adequate, or he thinks Pharaoh's bigger than God. I don't know what one of those might be most true, or maybe they're all true, but he's not yet convinced. <clears throat> Would you want to be the person that turned God down after all of this? What, we, what might you expect God to do? Uh,
1: put you down.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, like, like many earthly fathers like to say, I can make another one just like you. So don't cross me up. I can take you out and replace you very easily. Well, God can do that. And so here's Moses showing off human nature very well, isn't he? He ought to be fully convinced whether he is or whether he isn't I don't know but he certainly determined I don't want to be the guy for this task so here's my question for us as we close this out today do we tend to be like Moses yeah we do don't we but what surprises me is he could
1: see what he was doing all these times all these miracles mm-hmm. he could see what they're trying to
0: show mm-hmm. us you know that even Moses Well, there's some truth to that. I want to attack that just a little bit. But before we do, let's back up and look at this one other direction. Is there any positive positive aspect to Moses regarding his lack of confidence? He's
2: humble.
0: He's He's humble. humble. Or at least he appears to be humble. I mean, would 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 you would you expect what, what what might be different if God came to a man and said? Once want you go get those people out. And he said, oh, sure, I can do that. How's that going to go? So there is a good side to this, at least somewhat, that Moses is not full of self-confidence going, hey, what are you t- talking to me for, God? I got it. I'm... That phrase that one, one of the guys on TV likes to say, I got this. No, no, God's got this. And that's important for Moses in this task. However, we'll see next week. God's not real happy with how this conversation's going. But going back to the other side of this, I I want to go to a couple places. The first place I want to go is Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Now, I want to be very... I don't want to stretch the scriptures, this is Jesus talking to the twelve, but I think without a doubt, this is intended as a legacy command for the church through history, and I don't know what I said, but I should have said Matthew 28, 19, and 20, is that what I said? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, somebody read that for us.
1: Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all things that i have commanded you and lo i am with you always even to the
0: end of the age okay so what's the command Make
2: disciples.
0: who's giving the command jesus part of the trinity is there any wording in that that's similar to what god started with moses and what he said to him Well, go. There's another one. I'm with you. I am with you. And God's what God said to Moses at first. When Moses was, who am I? I'm going to be with you. That could have been enough for Moses if he'd really understood what that meant. And that could be enough for us to take away our fears and take away our self-confidence as we go about living our lives as a testimony to Jesus Christ. Those moments when you hesitate. Well I'm not sure I'm ready. I don't know how this is going to go. Um, you know I, I want to keep the friendship. But I don't want to kill the friendship. You know I can, I can continue to do this through. Encouraging our relationship. And maybe there's a better time. And we've got all these reasons right. But Jesus said the same thing God did. I'm with you is it enough for us it should have been enough for moses and then claire marie though did bring something up and that was moses got to see the miracles go to john 5:24 john 5:24 Maybe I better turn to I think I've got it memorized but up here who shall come into judgment but has passed from death into life. okay is that a miracle has it happened to you this one's even stronger go over to second Corinthians 517. What's our shortcut phrase for that? You are born again. Put that on a scale of one to ten of miracles, where ten's a great big miracle and one's pretty small. How are you going to line that up compared to a snake and leprosy? Which one's bigger? Salvation. You're a whole new creature. For eternity. Does that make sense?
2: One took the entirety of the incarnation as death as a substitute on our behalf. So I think if you just look at it as a moment in time, like a salvation issue, you know, it might seem it seems insignificant.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I, I agree with you. There, that miracle has a lot of other miracles attached to it. You've got the whole life of Christ. You've got the death. You've got the resurrection. You've got him coming back and directing the people. You've got everything that happens in the book of Acts as he lays the foundation of the church. Yeah, there's a lot there that's a part of our leading up to today where we can know what it means to be a new creature in Christ but I want to focus just on that part of it for a minute if you're a new creature in Christ what happened to how you see the world and its events did something change and I'm going to tell you if it didn't I'm going to encourage you to stop and take a look at the world again because before Christ what's the world it's how I live it's it's my certainty it's what's it, it, it's, I, need, I need to gain wealth so I can have stability. I need a, how you look at the world and even how you look at the events should be very different as a follower of Christ. People who follow Christ should look at what's going on in the Middle East very differently than people who don't. When people are persecuted in the name of Christ not in the name of Christ, but because they take the name of Christ. And that's happening around the world in big ways. We should look at that differently if we're one of those persecuted. How did the apostles look at their persecution? Did they go, this is wrong, it's got to stop? You never hear that. Not even when James is beheaded. Very early on in the life of the church, what you see is they were glad, they were found worthy, to suffer in the name of Christ. So being born again changes who you are to the point you look at the world entirely differently. And we don't earn our salvation, but in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we hear about our salvation. You're saved through grace. No act of your own so that no one can boast. But what are we saved for in verse 11 or in 10? Good works. There is fruit that comes out of your life. If you read John 15, he who abides in Christ produces much fruit. As a believer, do you see miracles? Now, maybe you see them and don't call them that. I don't know. I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip here, but I'm just saying we have seen greater miracles than Moses. We live on the side of the world where the greatest miracle is occurring, that men's sins are actually covered by the blood of the perfect salvation, the perfect sacrifice, that is Jesus Christ. They had the blood of bulls and goats. They were saved by faith, but it still took Jesus to come and die, even for them in the Old Testament. He's the one that paid their sin debt. So we have seen greater miracles than Moses. Yes, sir.
2: I, uh, I was thinking about this uh, passage because oftentimes, you know, in apologetics, when you're talking with people, they'll, they'll talk about that too. You know, it's, hard, it's hard to have faith because, you know, they had miracles. They got to see Christ. And uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, Peter addresses this too. He says, For we did not follow above early devised men when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we had, when you received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic with him, I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this uh, very voice born from, born from heaven, but we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention to as a left to in a dark place. Yeah. So I think, like, you know, to your point, when we see the salvation of our neighbors, and we, when we uh, contemplate our own salvation, and when we look at the prophetic word, which includes the book that we're reading right now, Exodus, right? The Old Testament, the New Testament. Um, we have these things more fully confirmed than even Peter, who is standing with, with the transfigured Christ on the mountain. So there is no excuse.
0: There is no excuse. I, I will acknowledge what Jesus acknowledged, and that was standing in front of Thomas when he and Thomas finally got together. Thomas said, "I believe." He said, "I got to touch it," but he didn't touch it. He just as soon as he saw Jesus, he said, "I believe," and Jesus said. That's good that you believe. You believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe that have not seen. I think Jesus himself recognized there is a, a challenge to comprehending the miracles that we don't see with our eyes. But that challenge should not deter us from recognizing the miracle. And what is the miracle that the non believer will see today? That's you. So it is up to us to be the testifier to a world that God has commissioned us to go to just as he commissioned Moses to go to Egypt to extract the Jews we've been commissioned to go to the world around us be the miracle they can see of the changed person and testify about the source of that change is Jesus Christ what else would you like to say we've run a little bit over but what else would you like to say I
3: just think sometimes we are hard on in the gospel and share it i'm not even going to get within 50 feet i'm going to have all sorts of objections that same way even though if we very directly like you guys have presented today focus on what god has done for us we know it's possible he told us to do it we could very well go and accomplish that and yet we still hesitate just like moses did we like that just like he did
0: we're, we're no better we're no better and that's kind of the point i was making but you know what we need to work at being better I mean, ultimately, Moses is going to come around, right? We better come around quickly, too. Anything else? More
1: of a fear of man over God. Kind of.
0: Yeah, that's, a, that's another good way to state it. Well, listen, I've kept you too long now. Thank you, and we'll pick it up again next week.